from KQED. Support for this podcast comes from the John Templeton Foundation. The Templeton Foundation supports research and civil dialogue on the deepest questions facing humankind. Learn more at templeton.org. The Templeton Foundation. Stay curious. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Exactly. 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 A conversation series in search of a finer point. Now, here's your host, New York Times bestselling author Kelly Corrigan. I've enjoyed every conversation I've ever had with Walter Isaacson. He has the best career. He ran CNN and then Time and then launched the Aspen Institute. He's also the biographer of Steve Jobs and Albert Einstein. This conversation, recorded on the college campus that hosts the Miami Book Fair, was about myths of innovation. I've been sort of frustrated and obsessed with all the specializing I'm being told to do, not just for me, but also with my kids, like Georgia should focus exclusively on lacrosse and Claire should focus exclusively on theater. I hate that. It doesn't feel right at all. I think a good day is like a good diet. Variety matters. Why not plan a day that includes sweating, math, and singing? I mean, I like to write books, but I also like to host conversation shows or maybe try master swimming or interior design. I hate all this pressure to pick a lane. So talking to Walter, who has studied planet and species-changing innovations, I was pretty gratified to hear that a lot of important work gets done at the intersection of the arts and technology. You'll see. Hi, I'm Kelly Corrigan, and I'm so happy to be sitting next to Walter hey, Isaacson. How you doing? Pretty good. Good to be good. with you. Good to be Thanks back here. Thanks for coming by. Thanks. So you have had this incredible career in trafficking and ideas with Time <laughs> and CNN and everything you've done at the Aspen Institute. So I feel like you've sort of recently debunked this idea of the lone creator, the genius mm-hmm. that works in isolation to come up with the next great thing. Can you talk a little bit about the role of collaboration in, and in innovation? Yeah, it's a digital revolution. We don't really know who invented the computer, who invented the internet. And it's partly because it was all done collaboratively. I remember when I was writing my biography of Steve Jobs, and I thought, well, he's the great lone inventor, Mm -hmm. the guy in the garage, maybe with a friend, Wozniak, from down the street, but just doing it alone. And he kept saying, no, you don't understand. Uh, I'm not, you know, the lone inventor of any of these products. I invented Apple, a group of people, of collaborators, who could make great products. And so when I looked, whether it was the uh, heroes who did the first mm-hmm. computer, the women who programmed the first computer, they all do it as teamwork. And so I realized that creativity is a team sport. So do you, do you have a theory about why that is? Like why we're always looking to eliminate kind of the messy nonsense of lots of people trying and failing, trying mm-hmm. and failing and iterating and, st- and replacing that with this kind of hero myth? Yeah, you know, we biographers, and I mm-hmm. plead guilty because I've done Ben Franklin and Einstein and Steve Jobs, you know, we realize deep inside that we distort history a bit. We make it sound like some guy or gal is sitting there in a garage or a garret and they have a light bulb moment and innovation mm-hmm. happens because it's a better story. I mean, it's the way we tell tales with the hero, you know, Ulysses going out to sea or whatever. And it's important to have those visionaries. The book I've written is filled with visionaries, but visionaries you probably haven't heard of, people like Lick Glider or uh, Doug Engelbart or Alan Kay, 
who really helped envision the machine, but they did it within groups like in Xerox PARC or at MIT. So one of the people that you bring into the light is Ada Lovelace. I love Ada Lovelace. Yes. I love Ada Lovelace too, and I want to thank you. Because it's her I have birthday coming two, up. Uh, is celebrate. it really? Yeah. Uh, it is, uh, I have two daughters, and they're both mathletes. My daughter, uh, Betsy, who is a math geek, um, she turned me on to uh, Ada Lovelace. She was writing uh -huh. her college admissions essay, and being the type of parents, you know, we are, we were hovering to see, like, <laughs> what are you going to write? And she wouldn't let us even near her. And then she said, and I said, well, what was it? She said, Ada Lovelace. And I said, well, why? She explained. She said, well, Lord Byron's daughter. She was a poet because her father was this great romantic poet, but her mother was a mathematician. So she combines sort of math and poetry mm -hmm. and comes up with the notion of how a calculating machine can do words or pictures or music. Mm -hmm idea of a general purpose computer, and she publishes the first computer program. So this woman who combines the engineering and the art, mm -hmm. to me, that's the um, patron saint of the digital age. So per that, um, if you think about the, all this conversation right now about colleges and four-year degrees mm -hmm. and the liberal art, the value of a liberal arts education, and should we send all these mm -hmm. people into debt, uh, mm -hmm. and then you think about the magic that Ada Lovelace was able to generate by merging the two sides, right, right, right and left. I mean, it's oversimplifying to say right brain, left brain, yeah. but it connects. Oh, connect, um, yeah. Do you have a point of view about the importance of a liberal arts education? Absolutely. I mean, we're here at Miami-Dade College, which is yeah. just one of the, Eduardo Padron has created a great community college here because it combines the arts and the sciences. And we really need to push, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math, yeah. the STEM fields. But we need to remember that the great creativity, as Steve Jobs said, is those who stand at the intersection of the humanities and technology, because those are the people who can connect humans to machines. Right. And, uh, but on the other hand, just as I think humanities and the arts are important to keep in the curriculum, those people who love humanities and the arts, and this is why I wrote the book, I think it's useful to figure out, okay, I now know what a transistor is. I now realize it's an mm -hmm. on-off switch. I now realize a piece of silicon can be a semiconductor, mm -hmm. and it makes an on-off switch, and this is how you do logic in a circuit. It's not that complicated. As Ada would okay. say, it's hard, but it's not as hard as, say, a line of her dad's poetry, like right. she walks in beauty like the night. You visualize it. I think those in the humanities should try to visualize the beauty of a mm -hmm. technology. Mm -hmm. Right, and there's a huge relationship between math and music. For Absolutely, instance. and, so and whenever Einstein you know gets stumped, especially when he's doing general relativity and pacing around, he pulls out his violin and plays Mozart because he says he wants to reconnect to the harmony of the spheres. So throughout the book, from Ada Lovelace to the uh, Sergey Brin and Larry mm -hmm. Page who do Google near the end of the, my book, it's all people who understand how to connect human creativity to the processing power of machines. <laughs> You're listening to Exactly on KQED Public Radio. We'll be back after a break. Support for this podcast comes from the John Templeton Foundation. The Templeton Foundation supports academic research and civil dialogue on the deepest and most perplexing questions concerning the cosmos, human purpose, and the divine. Learn more at templeton.org. The Templeton Foundation. Stay curious. This program was recorded with support from the folks at Medium, the place to share stories and ideas that matter most to you. 
If you're enjoying this conversation, check out our podcast on creativity with comedic giant John Cleese. To get out of the rut, you need a real space and, you, and a lack of anxiety. And I think at the moment, it's very hard for people to have that, particularly with all the IT devices yeah. beeping and blinking. You're always distracted, and that's not good for creativity. That's John Cleese on our podcast at kqed.org slash exactly or on iTunes. Welcome back to Exactly. I'm Kelly Corrigan with thought leader Walter Isaacson. So I want to talk about the state of curiosity in the world and, mm. and also maybe how that relates to people cross-pollinating themselves. Mm. So I feel like uh, there's this pressure as a parent and my kids are in middle school to sort of get really good at one thing. Absolutely. Bad idea. Bad idea, Bad right? Idea. When you get siloed, you're not going to be creative. You know, one of the things about the digital age that I write about is these open workplaces like uh, Bob mm -hmm. Noyce and Gordon Moore and Andy Grove created at Intel that you now see yep. at Google or Apple or any place like right. that. It's where they're not divisions, you know, like mm -hmm. here's the hardware division, here's the software division, here's the iPod division. But everybody's open and they're sharing ideas because I think it's at these intersections that things happen. And somebody asked me, well, what advice do you have coming out of your book? I said, just walk around your workplace and make sure you know what everybody else is doing. Yeah. Do you think that's a hangover from like the Industrial Revolution where it was yeah. like, hey, you're the... Yeah, in the industrial, that's a very good question. I hadn't thought about it, Kelly, but it is true that in the Industrial Revolution, we broke up processes into separate steps. Like mm -hmm. even in a pen making factory, there'd be somebody who did this, yep. then somebody, and even in mathematics, they'd say, okay, you're the one who adds this column. And so you'd break it up into sequential steps. And that was the process of the Industrial Revolution. The process of the information technology revolution is that you combine things and to me it's a combining facility this is an yeah. Ada Lovelace line right. the combining facility is what leads to imagination I think there's this assumption that to to um, be to have people that are um, participating in multiple teams inside a company for instance is inefficient and to have children that are both pursuing lacrosse and violin mm -hmm. is inefficient um, but actually, and, and maybe it does take a little bit more time mm -hmm. to be interested in and develop in these multiple areas. When you look at but Alan Kay, who created the graphical user interface at Xerox Park, uh -huh. sort of an unsung hero of my book, but mm -hmm. he's like, loves music. He mm -hmm. plays jazz. He also goes to the University of Utah and loves graphical, you know, graphic displays and things like that. And he comes up with the beauty of that computer screen we now use with mm -hmm. trash cans and icons and folders. Likewise, Steve Jobs, he drops out of college, but he takes calligraphy and dance courses, yeah. right? And he loves calligraphy so much that when they do the original Macintosh, he says, on this bitmap screen, I'm going to do beautiful fonts. Mm -hmm. You want people, I mean, it's a simple phrase is that beauty matters. And what do you think the state of curiosity is right now? I mean, do you think that we're becoming more curious as a as a culture or yeah less? I'm very optimistic and I think one of the great things about the digital revolution is any kid with access to this revolution we got to make sure all kids mm -hmm. you know are connected they're wired yep. they're you know have their uh, access to the internet and computers but any kid who wants to can explore anything now and um, this is really great and so the future will belong to the curious yeah that's a great line yeah. Um, and what are you excited about? Like, what innovations are on the horizon that thrill you? Like, do you think there's a big 
something exciting that's going to come out of this 3D printing or being well, able to map Well, obviously 3D DNA printing is important because it, it takes the information technology revolution brings it to the physical age where you're actually yeah. manufacturing things. Obviously, the life sciences and big data connected to medical things are going to be great. You and I have been talking about Medium, which is a company I like in which people can collaborate more easily on a platform. And with mm -hmm. this book, The Innovators, I put it up on Medium and some other platforms so people could tell me their stories and it would be written in a collaborative way. And finally, I'm excited by Bitcoin and other cyber currencies because I think we need a way to have micropayments on the internet so we can sort of mm -hmm. reward people who are creative. Do you think that the things that we're uh, lauding as great innovations st will stand the test of time? Yeah, I mean, I think you know some things will maybe disappear. We'll sort of say, wait a minute, what was that? You know, beer <laughs> rating social network right. all about? <laughs> I think we've probably yeah. overdone social networks because they're easy to do in dorm rooms and uh -huh. you know garages. I think uh, people who really disrupt you know, the uh, cable TV system or disrupt the banking system mm -hmm. or disrupt uh, how we do medicine or more importantly maybe how we do kindergarten through 12th grade education. Mm -hmm. Invent new ways to teach our kids to make them both creative and allow their curiosity. Those will be the inventions we remember a century from now. Yeah, um, and you seem like you have had very little experience with failure. I wonder if oh, you please, have a please, big please. flop that you can tell yeah, us about. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, it's not a big flop, but it was something I wasn't good at, which is when I ran CNN. And I realized, I mean, you're in the television business. I love print. I love words. I love writing mm -hmm. narrative. And I went to CNN, and I loved all the people there. I loved the mission of the network. But I don't think I was particularly good at figuring out you know, how to run a big television network. And it taught me a few things. It taught me that you should play to what your real passions are, which for mm -hmm. me, I just didn't understand television. Secondly, know whether you're a manager or a visionary or a creative person mm -hmm. or somebody who can just be part of a team. And for me to be a tough executive at a big company like that, it, it, it didn't feel right to me after a while. And what do you learn from the Aspen Institute? The Aspen Institute is all about collaborations, but if you bring 20 people around the table, even on the most tough issue, be it immigration reform, abortion, school prayer, you name it, you can get people of good faith to get to 80% of the answer, because we all have a certain common ground of values. If you build on that, instead of trying to rip people apart the way our political and media system sometimes mm -hmm. does today, that we could solve a lot more problems. Okay, so in my mind, I said exactly about a dozen times during this conversation, like, I was pretty psyched when he gave props to Ada Lovelace as the patron saint of the digital age. Here was a woman who believed in the promise of both poetry and technology. Beyond that gem, here were my top three. Creativity is a team sport. Play to your passions, which to me meant maybe I don't need to break my back trying to get better at things that I don't do that well and don't like that much. Three, the future will belong to the curious. I left our conversation dead sure that I can trust my gut when it tells me it's okay, and possibly even to my intellectual advantage, to spend an afternoon sewing, or painting, or building a bench for the foot of my bed. And for that, I raise my glass to Walter Isaacson. Great to have you with me. Please be in touch. This is exactly produced by KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. This interview was recorded with help from the folks at Medium, the place to share stories and ideas that matter most to you. Also, special thanks to PBS Bookview Now. 
If you enjoy thinking about the posture of innovation, you might also be interested in Jason Siegel's thoughts on enduring failure. It's being willing to sit through being bad at something until you get it. I think a lot of people are afraid to be made fun of, mm -hmm. so they don't sit through being bad at something mm -hmm. until they're good at it. You can hear Jason Siegel and many others on our podcast at kqed.org slash exactly or in iTunes. Thanks to our team, producers Kat Snow and Anna Adlerstein, coordinating producer Melissa Williams, engineer Jim Bennett, production manager Jennifer Harrison, and executive producer Michael Isip. I'm Kelly Corrigan. Thank you so much for listening, and do be in touch.